Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hi, you guys. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm Megan Dwyer. So to continue my motherhood theme for the month of May, today I am sharing my conversation with Beth Berry, who is an author, a coach, a teacher, and founder of The Revolution From Home. Beth is so compassionate and has so much wisdom, and you guys are going to absolutely love her and all of her insights. This episode honestly fired me up. So if it does the same for you, please go out and share it with someone who you think will appreciate it. As moms, we need each other. And in this episode, we get into exactly why. So before we jump in, let me just tell you a little bit more about Beth. Beth Berry is a writer, a whole life coach, mother of four daughters, and lover of the sacred feminine. A revolutionary at heart, she supports and encourages women towards the realization of their fullest potential and reclamation of motherhood from disempowering personal and cultural stories. She believes that awakened women who know themselves to be lovable, worthy, and beautiful are powerful beyond measure and essential to the healing of the world. And I agree 100%. In our conversation, we talk about how the cultural system in place is failing to support mothers aspirational spending and why we're vulnerable when it comes to spending, why we need to create a safe inner world, why support is so important for burnout and so much more. You guys can find Beth at her website, revolutionfromhome.com. You can go check out her book called Mother Whelmed, which is incredible. You can check her out on social media. She's out there on Instagram and Facebook at Revolution From Home. And you can also go check out her membership community. And she also has a year-long program called Mother Worthy, where she goes really deep with women to support each other on this journey. She also has some courses that are going to be available this spring and some in-person retreats this summer and fall as well. So go check it all out on her website. I'll also link all this information in the show notes as well. All right, you guys. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Beth Berry. Enjoy. Hi, Beth. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Megan. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you today. So I am a mom to two young boys, and this podcast is really designed for women and moms in particular to help them explore the stories and the beliefs in the cultural expectations and constructs, I guess, that hold us back when it comes to our relationship with money. I talk a lot about being a mom and how that gets intertwined with our identity and how that can impact the way that we view the world and the way that we spend our dollars. So I think there's a lot of alignment in the general concepts of the work that we each do. And so that's why I'm really excited to talk to you today. I'd love to start by having you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. 
Yeah, sure. So I am a mom of four daughters, ages 15, 18, 22, and 28. So I'm in a, a moment of life where I'm sort of anticipating the empty nest. Pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and uh, my work is centered around supporting mothers in creating lives that feel more vibrant and rich and resourced and better all around and um, figuring out what's getting in the way of that and helping to break down this narrative that I hear and witness all the time around, you know, this narrative that there must be something wrong with me that I'm not enjoying motherhood more, or I, it's my personal inadequacy that's making motherhood feel so hard or my life as a mother feels so hard and draining. Um, or I just need to get more organized, or I need to do this better, that better. I need to add this, you know, system or whatever, and that that's what's the problem. And why can't I get it together? That's what I was going to say. Totally, (laughs) that's a big one. I'll be happier when I get my my shit together, you know. And that's um, and I think that uh, actually what we need to start looking at is and asking ourselves is what's wrong with the systems and structures and norms and narratives that most every mother you meet is struggling as hard as she is, even though mothers, if you look around are doing more than just about anybody else out there, if not anyone out there. And, and yet we still have this feeling like we're not doing enough. So I, yeah, I, through coaching and my book and um, my year long program and membership site and such, we're, we're working on deconstructing all of those norms and then also building a sense of community and sisterhood um, which I really believe is is so much of the antidote to uh, this hyper individualization and um, and isolation that so many women are suffering from. In addition to feeling like they can't ever do enough. Yes, you are spot on. I think. I mean, I have had so many of these stories even just today going through my head. Right, like. I was just saying to you before we press record at school vacation this week um, in my house and I've got two little ones at home and I am, I work from home full time. Right. But I am working this week and trying to juggle them and also respond to my clients and hit the meetings that I'm supposed to do and, you know, make sure that they have a healthy lunch and that they're entertained and that they get out of the house, they get some fresh air, they don't watch TV all day, that I make sure that I get exercise and I eat healthy and I do it all. It's just, it's incredibly overwhelming, the expectations that are put on moms and I feel it on a daily basis. So I think this work is so needed. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're describing, most every mother has some version of that that she's living where it, the the hustle is never ending and what we're what we're trying to do is wear all of the hats of all of the the people in the village that we don't have yeah you know we're trying to be everything to everyone um because we're not in what i believe i don't I, is that we we're not in our natural habitat that this isn't how it's meant to be and so we're making, trying to make up the difference all the time and, and actually, you know, and make up, fill the gap between the way we re- are really wired to live, which is in more community and with more community care 
And, and so now we are our children's primary playmates because there's hardly any kids in the neighborhood and you right. know, um, we're, we're the only ones cooking meals. And when that could be something that's being done, you know, if you were in a, a community of people, those are some of the things you would do together and um, less frequently. Uh, and there's so many examples of that kind of thing that, that uh, it becomes um, so much emotional labor on top of the the physical labor as well, because we don't have uh, other community members who are um, tracking the needs of our kids, the wellness of our kids, of our needs and wellness. And so it's like we're the ones defaulting, you know, the, to all those roles. Um, and, and I just think it's it's too much for any one person to handle. Agreed. Absolutely. When do you think this started, like this shift towards kind of like from the village community mentality to the individual, like isolation, kind of raising your children on an island? Yeah, I think it's been a, you know, it's been a, a progression um, that certainly um, capitalism has sped up because we've been sold this, you know, um, story that convenience is where it's at if you if you look back to the certainly goes back further than this in different ways but you can easily go back to the 1950s housewife who was being right. who was being sold this this uh idea that the more uh appliances you know newfangled things that she buys the better her life will be easier her life will feel and that actually we don't it's there was sort of a, an um, a necessity of connection and community to survive yeah. for a long forever we've always needed each other to survive and then when more and more conveniences came into the picture and consumerism picked up you know and um, there's products made for everything under the sun including all kinds of things we don't need at all mm -hmm. but that we've been sort of brainwashed into thinking that's where we find solutions yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. It's interesting. I talk an awful lot about spending on my podcast. And one of the things that I have come to realize through my own journey, my own work in all of this is that it's never about the thing. It's never about the item. It's the feeling behind it that it brings to you. Right. So if I'm going to buy like this new pair of shoes or something, it's not that I actually care about the shoes. It's that I feel, you know, it's the feeling that those shoes give me, like whether it makes me feel like, okay, I'm, you know, they're a trendy pair of shoes I fit in now, or I imagine myself wearing those pair of shoes when I'm on vacation or I'm out to dinner somewhere and, uh, and, and I'm not stressed out. So to me, it's like the thing that we're buying is essentially feeling like it's an escape from the everyday, the, the overwhelm that we're feeling. And if we didn't, have that overwhelm, right? The the kind of societal expectations and I guess built up anxiety that we just feel like that we're not to not be perfect, essentially, then would we even need all these items to begin with, right? It's kind of a circular reference in a way. Um, like we feel like we need these things to make ourselves feel better when inevitably it's it has nothing to do with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, this term aspirational spending is something that I came across a few years that really um, described this well to me that, you know, that what we aspire to, uh, to becoming um, is where we're really vulnerable when it comes to our spending. So when, 
you know, I have decided to like um, um, unsubscribe for, for instance, to like REI. Yeah. Um, news, new the, the whatever the the marketing, the email yeah, marketing, yeah. REI. Because every time another twenty percent off coupon hits my my inbox, I have this feeling come up in me that I want to be out in the woods. And then apparently, I need more gear to get to the woods. Yeah, you know, totally, totally. And I don't really need more gear. I have a, plenty of gear to be in the woods. And so to understand, like, what is that weak point for you? And that actually, what we're identifying is. What do we love? What what do we long for? What are right. our values? And how can we um, skip the middleman consumeristic part of it and just go to the woods? Exactly. Totally. You can just walk outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, what's interesting is, you know, what you brought up is this necessity of connection and community. And that was kind of the reason that I started one of the many reasons why I started the podcast, this podcast in the first place, it was during the pandemic and I was incredibly lonely and I was online shopping because I couldn't go to stores and I was trying to do all these things to sort of fill this void in me that I didn't really know what, what it was. I couldn't identify or articulate what it was. And I just knew like, well, I'm going to shop and I'm going to get this little dopamine rush and I'm going to feel better about it, but you don't actually. And I realized what was missing for me. Some people are enjoy being with being alone and are okay with it. I, I don't mind it as much anymore, but I really crave connection and I crave being with other people and I crave having deep conversations and all those things just weren't happening during that time. And so I decided to kind of create it, to have these conversations with myself <laughs> and put them out there and see what happens. And it's been such a cathartic process for me to work through a lot of these underlying you know, whether they're insecurities or beliefs or stories that I have always told myself that are proving to be wrong. Once I allow myself to have them come up instead of shoving them down, I realize how connected I actually do feel with everybody else because they're so universal. Once you kind of release like the shame that you're the only one and you're in isolation here and you realize that everybody else is doing it, that's when I'm like, oh, okay, this is normal. <laughs> It's so true. And that's one of the stories we're being sold that is so unfortunate is that it's it's personal inadequacies. So that means you're the one struggling with it. Everybody else has their shit together. Yes, Everybody exactly. Is doing just fine. And it's so not true. Like, especially if we're looking at certain demographics, you know, mothers are not okay right now. <laughs> the struggle yeah. is real. I work with hundreds of mothers, you know, every week and it's, it's not an easy time. And, it, you know, we're up against so many similar struggles. We're not all having the same experience, but, you know, I could list you, you know, 10 or 20 primary struggles that, that mothers are having that are pretty universal, you know, yeah. and it, it, they, they often look like, overwhelmed feeling isolated but also feeling like not totally isolated because we can hardly get away from our kids so we never right. actually get a, a break for our nervous system right you know um feeling like there's no space to cultivate an inner life and a richness of spirit mm -hmm. you know a, a sense of wholeness there's no space for that because we're there's just no like go 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 yeah the task all the tasks must be done sort of being ruled by your to-do list, not having much, you know, like life 
pleasure and, um, you know, fun lightness. Yeah. (laughs) And then we have anxiety like rampant because again, we're not meant to be the only one tracking our children's needs. And, you know, within the pandemic times, all kinds of needs are not being well met. Yeah. Um, And we're the ones noticing that our kids aren't doing okay. And so we're trying to make up the difference. Um, And, you know, we don't have enough nature connection and we don't have enough connection to other people, intergenerational connect. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you come back to what's the common denominator, it's broken systems that are, you know, when you look at education system, healthcare system, you know, and you just take these, these bigger systems, who's making up the difference? Yeah. It's the moms. And so we're trying to do all of that and make sure that we, we also have a lot more understanding about how, uh, about child psychology and trauma. And Mm -hmm. so we're working really hard to try to make sure that we do better so that we don't pass trauma onto our children. Yes. But that's like a full-time job in and of itself. It is. And so is. (laughs) I'm going through that myself. This idea that, um, of like conscious parenting, for example, beautiful, amazing, such a beautiful idea. And as an ideal, um, so wonderful, but you're going to ask this high level of interaction of emotional intelligence of patience of creativity of pausing and evaluating the situation of an extremely fried overworked population it's a setup it's a complete setup and then we think we're the problems right like what's wrong with us i'm a failure i can't do this right yep that plus you know we have to hit all the other cultural expectations of us. We have to be the best at our jobs. We have to make sure that we're eating five square meals a day or whatever. And and we're exercising and we're, we look a certain way and we dress right. And it's just like enough. Mm -hmm. When is enough enough? Yeah. Yeah. And according to, you know, if we are going to subscribe to the, the capitalist model, enough is never enough. Yeah. And actually we can't, capitalism can't afford for us to believe that enough is enough ever. Yeah. You know, cause that's how it runs. We are to be producers and consumers and we are to raise the next generation of producers and consumers. You yeah. And, and, yeah. And that's all the subliminal right underneath it all, because they want us like the, the capitalistic society that we're in, right. They sell, they make money off of our own insecurities. So they want us to be able to feel bad about ourselves, that we can't do it all and buy this product or whatever, spend money on outsourcing this or that because we need to, we can't function otherwise, right? And we need to continue to kind of meet the bar, like meet that bar that's been set by probably, you know, an old white man somewhere many, many generations ago. Yeah, totally. And then we're spending a lot of money too on things just to try to hold it all together. Yes. And, I, and I'm, and I'm guilty of this, you know, I have a new day planner right here <laughs> that, <laughs> that I'm going to try to be even better about using this time, you know, and like actually mm-hmm. using the whole day planning, the whole system, there's a whole system behind it, <laughs> you know, and, but that's an attempt. And I can tell, I even knew it when I bought the thing, I am trying to manage my own anxiety. Yeah. I'm trying to have a better regulated nervous system. And so 
I'm going to try a little of this and a little of that. And, you know, my kids are older. I don't even have the stress of little kids underfoot and the chaos of the noise and everything. That's not part of my life anymore. And yet there are still so many things that, uh, that feel like they need my attention mm-hmm. all the time. So many things. And so, mm-hmm. so much of it for me is starting to recognize, um, actually, like you were saying, what are the feelings I'm trying to get at by, you know, letting my to-do list be my task master and, and by, you know, believing the story that if I get more done, I'll feel better instead of how about I go take a nap in my hammock today? Yeah. You know, and, and actually we've got to, I think, get better at letting a lot of things go, you know, and deciding that it's, not all actually as important as we're made to believe that it is. Yeah, it's so well said. Hard to implement, very hard to implement. So I'm curious how you work with the women in your world, right? In your membership and it, um, and in your coaching. How do you do that? Where do you start? Yeah. Well, part of what we're doing is, you know, each month we have a different theme and we're starting to get more, we're building self-awareness as a foundation. So each person, we all have our unique wiring. You know, I like to think of it like we're each our own unique kind of house plant. And so we don't all need the same things. So we want to get clear on what our specific needs are um, and recognize that it is not only, you know, that there's this, we've kind of been sold this idea that we shouldn't even have needs, that it's inconvenient yes. to have needs. Mm-hmm. I just think it's just utter bullshit because um, it, we can look at a house plant and notice that it has needs. And yeah. we can't do that for ourselves as humans. What I, was, is I was just saying this the other day, I was losing it in the car with my family because it was like, mom, 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 mom. And, and I just said, I have needs too. And the kids, of course, didn't get it. And I lost it on them. And I felt terrible. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. this is this is what yeah. we're all dealing with. What we're dealing with. And so we've got to start, if we can give, if we can be generous enough with a houseplant and say, oh, it looks like you do better in more sun. You need a little less water or whatever. Yeah. And, and we're giving more attention to the, the individual needs of our houseplant than ourselves. We got something seriously wrong. And so we've got to start that's sort of the foundation of the work I'm doing is helping um, women to better understand how, who they are, what's true for them. uh, What, so needs values, Mm -hmm. um, what are your unique gifts, your core gifts? um, And then how do we uh, structure our lives such that more of those needs are getting met more of those values get to be expressed. So mm-hmm. there's this direct relationship between our needs and our values. If you if you look at something as simple as, you know, when your need for sleep is not being met, it's really hard to be patient, mm-hmm. creative, you know, stay connected. Um, and that's not because those aren't important values. It's because you don't have the need met first. We have to focus more on what our needs are. And the more we start to have our needs better met, the easier it is to live our life from our values. So you help women with the, have the self-awareness to figure out what those needs are. 
And it's very much in alignment with some of the things that I talk about because, right, like we talk about sort of, you know, the, the cycle of impulse buying and feeling guilty afterwards and and instead trying to align our spending with our intentions and our values and our goals. And, you know, one of the examples that I often use is I like to run when I can, when I have the time to, the kids are not in the house. And if I was going to spend, you know, a hundred dollars on a new pair of running shoes, Awesome. Cause I know I will get use out of it. And that's important to me. And uh, it's that's money well spent in my mind, but I could go take, you know, a hundred dollars somewhere else that I was kind of on a whim, not expecting to, to spend and feel guilty because I'm not going to actually use these items. Right. So it's, it kind of helps to streamline a little bit and make you feel more connected with the item that you're buying. Right. Because it's, it's important to you. And I'm curious. I mean, I just talk about it more generally, but I'm curious exactly how you help women do this. I know there's a values exercise um, that I've done before, which literally like a piece of paper with a hundred different values and you circle them out. Do you have them journal? Do you have, like, is it some kind of like in a group context? I'm curious how you help women understand and and have that self-awareness, develop that self-awareness, because it's not easy, as I like to say, to hop off the treadmill it's slow down because we're on this constant moving thing every day. And sometimes even when we do step off, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Yeah, totally. And it actually can feel unsafe in our nervous system to slow yeah. down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I do have, I have a needs assessment tool and a values assessment tool that we work with. And then we, some of the power of these groups is that we are, people are doing this work individually and then we come together and we talk about it you Yeah. Know, for you know, three, three calls a month. And and we get into, you know, when you start to recognize not only um, are so many other mothers struggling with similar things, but you hear someone uh, say something like some kind of a limiting belief comes up and we can so quickly be like, that's not true about you. Yeah. And then you kind of a light bulb moment goes, oh, maybe it's not true about me either. Yeah. We can reflect each other's worthiness back to each other. Yeah. That's the support piece that I think is so incredibly powerful that, you know, you don't have, if you're not part of a group like that, if you're just, you know, in your own world, sometimes like, sure, you can say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, but then the, you know, the irrational part of your brain, the emotional part of your brain, not the logical part always comes up inevitably somehow. Right. And, and you're, if you're kind of in that inner battle with yourself. Totally. Yeah. And I I think there's this one another cultural narrative that's really strong and you know even among people who are on a a growth path that I really think is untrue is that um, we shouldn't need validation from other people we should seek all our validation from within and I just don't think that's true we're social creatures Um, do I think that we that it's important that we start to um, find our true worth and and value from building a self-relationship hundred percent, but that the process of getting there is partly being in connection with other people and building safety in our connections yeah. and actually being around people who truly see us, who see the true gifts within us and can reflect those back. And when we're seen and really known, I think that's the foundation of building the, the self-love, the self-compassion. That's not something that that is easily done when we don't ha- uh, have that worthiness reflected back to us, in part because a lot of the stuff comes from, you know, um, attachment wounds in our childhood. If we didn't have our true self 
uh, you know, seen and celebrated. And instead we were taught to play small, keep quiet. Then no one has really met. We haven't had that need met yet. We have to actually be seen, be understood, be heard, etc., before those parts of us can can really develop and be able, and then we can give those things to ourselves. And I love the word that you used, feel safety, feeling mm-hmm. safe around that. I do think that one of the struggles, you know, something that I've dealt with, and and probably again, if it's if it's personal, it's universal as well. Uh, that a lot of other women probably have felt too is this like, you know, people are going to judge us. People are going to judge us no matter, no matter what we do, if we say this or we say that. So it's like, it's best to just stay quiet and not talk about it. But yet, you know, we need to talk about it because again, to your point, like that's how we start to feel more comfortable and more confident in the, the parenting in general, because this is all new. Nobody's taught this. Right. So I think the safety thing is, is, is really, really important. Um, How do you start to I mean, I guess through community, right through through a safe environment, like what you're you know working through with your clients. But if you didn't have that, like how could you do that on your own, right? How could you start to create a safe world around you in order to start to be the true you and not yeah. feel like you're kind of stifled? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think there's a couple ways I would respond to that. One, I think we want to create a safer inner world. Yeah. Um, in part by recognizing all the ways we judge ourselves yeah, and that we shame ourselves and that we've internalized some harsh, you know, uh, voices from growing up, whatever it may be, what have we adopted and, 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 and really feel is true about us. And we want to create a safe inner landscape first. So we, when we can recognize that there's this sort of like our whole inner world has been uh affected by all these uh, experiences we've had throughout our lives and those experiences have been shaped by capitalism patriarchy white supremacy and all these these systems of oppression have influenced our inner world and so when we think about ourselves our perception of ourselves is distorted by those systems um by those narratives and so we want to go in with gentleness and compassion and start going what's what's really true here and part of that work I find uh, is most effective through um, sort of doing re reparenting work yeah you know working with your inner child or or parts work parts of yourself that are feeling exiled parts of yourself that are feeling um, like they don't they don't get to belong they'll be punished if they dare show their face you know, they dare speak up and we want to start actually um, giving space and time to all of our parts and to ourselves at different ages where perhaps if you can go back in your, in your, in your memory and your history and recognize when did you start playing small? When did, were you criticized for speaking up? When uh, did you decide you were too much or not enough? Yeah. Um, where did these come from and start to really examine those things. And I think motherhood, parenthood gives us this amazing opportunity to do that work as we go, because often the behaviors in our children that we have a hard time with are behaviors that were not allowed for us. 
Yeah. And so this can kind of help us to recognize, oh, wow, interesting. My youngest daughter was really um, pretty big for me with this one because she's very assertive. <laughs> she has no problem speaking up, saying what she wants, saying what she needs. And that was the opposite of how I was as a kid. Yeah. I, I learned to meet my needs myself, to keep quiet. Yep. You know, and um, it didn't. So when she would do that, my, when she would just say, this is what I want, this is what I need. My system would kind of go haywire. Yeah. I get that. My youngest son is, is very much like that as well. And I'm similar to you and that I was just kind of, you know, taught to do it all myself. Right. And the constant, I mean, he's also, you know, very loud. I was also taught to purposely kind of shut down my voice or lower the voice. So it's interesting when you think about it, you don't realize what those, how those triggers pop up in your everyday life. But yeah, it, it's, those are some of the big ones for me when I've really lost it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you can examine those places and be like, wow, okay. What, what is my inner five-year-old um, feel about the situation? How might she have been talked to under these circumstances? Yeah. And what did she need to hear? instead in order to be her true self and not uh, you know be quiet instead whatever it may be and we start giving ourselves the the things that we didn't get because we had imperfect parents just as we are imperfect parents right you know? and we start to bridge that gap between the parents that or the the caregivers we needed or the experiences we needed to 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 mature in a healthy way in whatever area it is and, um, and the healthy version of, uh, of adults we want to be, there's a gap there. And we want to try to bridge that gap by going back and sort of reparenting ourselves. And also just having the awareness that this is a lifelong process. Like yes. we're never, it's not just like yet another box to check or, you know, thing on our to-do list. Like this is a process. So process. I'm going through this myself reparenting as I follow a lot of reparenting accounts on Instagram. And I'm really trying to, when I have, you know, it's not easy because some days I don't have the time. Like we just talked about, like, I just, I, I lose it. And I know I'm aware I can actually feel my body going from, you know, zero to a hundred and getting all hot and, you know, uh, I can feel it, but does it necessarily stop me? No. I mean, sometimes it just feels good to let it out and, um, and, and, you know, fully knowing that you're going to feel bad about it afterwards. And, um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, instead, if you can try to stop yourself and say, Hey, like what's actually going on here and give yourself that compassion. Like you said, that that's, that I wish I had when I was a young, you know, when I was a kid, instead of maybe being told like, just stop, just stop yelling, stop crying, stop crying, you know, and then saying instead being like, what, what is it? What's going on here? Uh, but it's again, easier said than done because we're, our brains are going a mile a minute and we have so many things that we need to do. And move through right on our daily in our daily lives that it just makes it kind of a an ideal not necessarily part of the day yeah so this is another this is why it's a setup because we're uh we're asked to to do this really intensive parenting it's really it takes a lot of energy and a lot of work and you try something it doesn't work and then so you also yeah. have to take into account the fact that um you know growing up it was so much more common that if your kid is acting up, 
you spank them and you send them to the room or you send them outside and that's it. You know, yeah. we're done. Yeah. This, yeah. this is the end of the story. And the, and what are we doing instead? A million things, you know, yeah. and it takes a ton of energy and a ton of time and it doesn't always work and your kid's still flipping out and we're still not going to spank them. We're still going to try to come up with another solution. Meanwhile, we're being judged by the people in the store and, you know, yep. it's, it's the really, neighbors really hard. <laughs> It's really, really hard. And we're not acknowledging that motherhood is very much still invisibilized. Yeah. We're yeah. not saying we're not supporting the mothers in doing this incredible work for shaping the next generations in healthier ways. That's not being celebrated. That's not being rewarded with longer, you know, maternity leaves and right. And, you know, uh, more understanding that we need to be able to pick our kids up from school early and that we need to, that's not happening. We're in fact, the opposite is happening. It's just getting harder and harder to be, you know, to make it out there in the world. It doesn't matter if you have kids. It's not even considered in most people's jobs. Right. You know, so we've, the standards have risen hugely and the support structures have actually dropped. Well, yeah. I mean, and I, I, um, you know, 17 years into a, a very male dominated career. And, you know, I've gone through life pre-kids, right. Where it was a lot of men whose wives stayed home and took care of the kids and they could stay and work all night and it didn't really matter. And, you know, and also seeing, you know, the moms that would have to leave to go, to go do the daycare pickup and thinking, you know, not having a clue, right. Until I actually got there myself. And here I am. And now I have a you know fully flexible job where I work from home. And, um, and it's still, it's so interesting how it still all falls on me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Even as kind of the, the, the full-time, like, you know, working mom here. I mean, because I'm, because I'm home, I'm the one that picks up from school. I'm the one that, that does the drop-offs. I'm the one shuffling them to the activities and all that stuff. So, and I, I, you know, you don't mind it, but it's just so interesting how even in the day and age that we're in, how those traditional gender roles, at least when it comes to parenting are still very, very, very much in force. And um, yet we're also still expected to have the careers and, you know, be the high powered, high achieving woman. And, um, you know, it's some days it just feels like a completely fruitless effort right and as it is (laughs) yeah yeah so so much of it is that culturally we don't value caregiving yeah and so it's being it's like that's not even counted it's not counted in the in any of the equations even though if if we were to outsource it it costs more than a paycheck sometimes right yeah so we're supposed to you know work as if we don't have kids and raise kids as if we don't work. And that's the, you know, and that's, that's not working (laughs) clearly Mm -hmm. and have millions of mothers who are just like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Back to that same thing. Right. Or, or burnt out too. I've talked about burnout on my podcast and I actually have a couple of interviews that I've talked with specific coaches around the topic of burnout and they wouldn't have a job, right? Like 30 years ago or 20 years ago or something. It's just, what's so interesting to me is that there's, they're talking about this and that's great, but like, this is self-inflicted. This whole thing is self-inflicted. I mean, it's cultural, it's culturally inflicted, but we also have the power to stop it. If we want to, we just have to do it easier said than done. Right. I mean, it's just, it, it involves probably creating severe boundaries around yourself and the the outside world, right? 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is, I mean, it, and it all also depends. It's easier to hold those influences back and all that those things back if we have more, if and when we have more resources, you know? So, yeah. but um, what I often find too is that when we start connecting with other women in real ways, in more vulnerable ways, and develop um, true, true friendship, true sisterhood, then suddenly it becomes a whole lot easier to be able to go, well, that's bullshit. Right. You know, cause you're reminded each other all the time. Yeah. You and know? you're not also, I mean, you've got, you've, you've got a team, you've got support around you. You're not just feeling like you're going to check out on Instagram and you all of a sudden, you know, start comparing yourself to all these other, you know, influencers out there that are somehow doing it better than you are. Yep. Yeah. So there's so much comparison and competition built into modern motherhood. So we've got to decide that we're going to, we're not going to participate in those things. And then when, when we find ourselves in a comparison or judging other people that we slow down and start self-examining be like, what, what's going on inside? What yeah. do I need? It's often more of a sense of safety, more of a sense of belonging, more of a sense of like, I'm going to come, I'm going to show up for myself in this moment and care for myself well until I get to a more regulated state. And then I can, I can then better understand is, is it that I'm feeling threatened because I perceive that these people have a sense of belonging that I'm not a part of, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I think that's a lot of it for me. Absolutely. It's like, I have this kind of internal comparison where I feel like everybody else somehow, you know, has something that I don't and it's always somehow easier for them than it is for me, but it's not, it's not, you know, and that's the, where the whole kind of like where, where the internal work needs to come in, right. The whole reparenting thing and just giving yourself the, the compassion to know that, Hey, no, everyone, everyone's dealing with a shit show out there. So it's not just you. Yeah. And I think we can become uh, more, the more self-aware we become and the more we can sort of have our own back and start to show up for ourselves with kindness and compassion. I think that helps us to then be able to be more courageous in our connecting with other people, Mm -hmm. be more authentic, show more of our true self. And because if, if we show our true self and we haven't done the work of showing up and growing a loving self-relationship, then rejection is going to hit us way harder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but if I, if I care about myself truly, and I've built this self-regard and self-compassion and self-love, then a rejection can come into my, my nervous system. And I'm going to have a more of a, more of a bandwidth to be able to be like, oh, wow, that's their story. Those are their needs. That's, that's their stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean anything about me at all. Right. I'm still here for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that lands much differently than if we've decided we're just going to believe whatever the world has told us about ourselves, you know, much of which those, those stories we've internalized so many of them we internalized when we were in the seventh grade. Right. Right. When, yeah. And we've got to really start looking like what stories have I believed about myself that really need to be rethought because I was freaking 13 when I took this story in and decided it was true. Yeah. And for all those years, right. That yeah. you're, you're almost like, you know, 
longing for a goal that doesn't even really match like who you truly are, right? Yeah. And everything se- sort of seems like it's not fulfilling what your actual kind of desire or, or, or you know, ultimate like value, going back to the values thing, right? It's just not, it's just not fulfilling enough or it's not satisfying you. So you kind of, and I think what, ha- what happened so much for me and for other women is in particular, is that once you hit motherhood, the person who you thought you were all those years, which it, in my mind, wasn't really who I am. That person just kind of starts to fizzle. And what happens is like the kids sort of bring out who you are now, who the real you is, because you see yourself in them. Like they hold up this mirror for you. And that has been sort of like a big revelation for me. And I still just shove that person down because all the things that I learned over those years where I wasn't really truly being myself are still kind of top of mind and what I feel like I need to to do or to be on a daily basis, but that's not who I really am. I don't know if I'm making any sense here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It does make sense. And, and part of that, why it's so difficult when our kids hold up the mirror for us and we start to see what's really true about us. And they often will also show us the parts of ourselves that need tending yeah, and that that are sort of being presented to us to heal, but and the conditions are not right for us to be focusing much on our growth and healing and our evolution because yeah. of this constant busy work that we're involved in. And so I think part of changing all of this is being radical about getting time away in some capacity breaks for our nervous system for longer than we are probably likely to actually, uh, you know, default to. So I can't even tell you how many mothers I've worked with who we finally get to this place where she's decided, okay, yes, I really need some time away. I'm taking an hour on Saturday morning and I'm just like, okay, great. So what are you doing for an hour? And she's like, well, I'm going to drive to this place and it's 20 minutes away. And I'm like, okay, so we're already 40 (laughs) minutes in you now have 20 minutes to yourself that's not driving. You know, we are, we ask for crumbs. Yeah, we do. Absolute crumbs. We do. And we've got to start understanding that beings, living beings don't survive well on crumbs. Right. You know, it's like feed, it's like watering your houseplant a few drops and wonder why it's still withering. And then, but we, we do this to ourselves all the time. Oh, I got an hour three weeks ago. What's wrong with me that I'm not okay? Yeah, Exactly regular tending, you yeah. know, and we've got to build this into our, our relationships and our, you know, in the courageous conversations we're having with partners. Uh, another piece of this, that's also so challenging is that our partners, their needs aren't well met either. Right. And it feels vulnerable for them to even admit they have needs because they have all this, you know, toxic masculinity teaching them that they're supposed to have it all together and never show weakness. Mm-hmm. And so they don't even, they don't recognize they have needs. We don't recognize we have needs and everybody's just walking around with all these unmet needs, wondering why we feel terrible. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and why we resent each other and explode sometimes, exactly. right? And the worst possible situations it's, yeah, I, I mean, it makes so much sense. And I think, you know, it all starts with you, right? It all starts with, like you said, doing that inner work and, identifying what those needs even are. Yep. Um, and which is, you know, going to be, I mean, some of them are going to be 
ones that everybody needs like sleep and, you know, to eat healthy and all that and exercise and stuff. But some of them are very unique to you too. And one of the things I always say is like, to even my seven-year-old, my almost seven-year-old just started, started saying this, I'm not a robot. Cause I say this all the time. I'm like, I'm a human. I have needs. I am not a robot. I can't function, you know, without going to the bathroom or whatever it is, because, you know, you try to go to the bathroom for, for two minutes and somebody needs you or somebody's opening the door while you're in there. And it's like, give me a second. So, yeah, I mean, this is all just, it's so fascinating to hear you talk through kind of the systems and the, the, the problems, but also knowing that we're in this together. We are so a million times in this together. For me, honestly, knowing that I am not alone is the most comforting thing. I mean, that gives me safety in and of itself, regardless of whether people want to talk about it. And I do feel that there's a lot of shame around this, like not being perfect concept. And that's why I feel like there are a lot of women who don't want to talk about it because, you know, there's the, that's their own work that they need to do myself included. But, you know, if it's, it's being extremely vulnerable to admit that you're not good at everything. And you're not, you know, the perfect mom or the perfect employee or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The perfectionism is, is really, really a problem right now. It's really, it's, it's keeping us from the connection we really crave. Yeah. Um, And it's keeping us from the quality of life that's possible. We can't have perfectionism and also intimacy. Right. It doesn't work. Right. That combo doesn't work. Yeah. We can't have, you know, deep beautiful sisterhood and, and perfectionism. It doesn't work. Yeah. So that's, I think one of the best ones we can work on shedding. Yeah. And and again, it doesn't feel safe to shed it until we, and it, you know, I just like, I always want to come back to the fact that yes, we are missing the village. This is true. I really, really think we are super far away from our natural habitat, but, and one really amazing girlfriend can change your life. Yeah. One amazing babysitter can change your life. You know, one night away a week to do whatever the hell you want to do can change your life. You know, there, Mm -hmm. there really are things we can do, you know, and I'm getting a fantastic therapist for yourself or your couples therapist. You know, there, there are steps we can take that radically change the quality of our lives, but we have to, we have to give ourselves those gifts and realize yeah. doing it all ourselves, figuring it all out ourselves, is not healthy for any of us. Asking for help is one of the hardest things I feel like for, for so many high achieving women, myself included, um, we even have a great babysitter and I sometimes, you know, hate to bother her more than she already does. She picks up my four-year-old two days a week after school and plays with him here. So it gives me a little extra time to work, but, but, you know, even like the extra, you know, Hey, would you come for, you know, a couple hours? So we could, you know, I could go to a yoga class or we could go out to dinner or something like that. It's just, I feel like those are kind of luxuries that, you know, I don't necessarily need to have, so I don't bother with it, but I don't realize how much that's kind of continuing this cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is you wanting to go from the survival mode to thriving. We, we don't all, most of us, a lot of us don't until we go through a healing process, feel worthy of thriving. Right. We're like I'm surviving and I should be okay with that. Cause that's as much as my ancestors have ever had. Yes. So who am I to ask for even more, but actually isn't, 
how much better would the planet be, you know, the people on the planet, much less the poor planet herself, be if we were thriving? You know, like us all just in survival mode is killing us. It's killing us. It's killing the planet. Well, and, and the impact on our kids too. I mean, to see, to see mom and dad actually thriving versus just surviving and being in, you know, like reactive mode all the time and always stressed out, right? Like that would make a huge difference. I think in our family anyway. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the things we do, I think one story really worth examining is who's deserve, who's deserving of care who's deserving of breaks what do you have to do to be worthy of feeling good we usually have some distorted story we're telling ourselves in those areas um and the story too that the only thing that is justifiable to be doing when i have child care is working for money mm-hmm. that's the only justifiable reason for child care Mm-hmm. Or the like once every two month date night. Mm-hmm. What what if we found, you know, excellent child caregivers who our kids are benefiting from, you know, or even just the babysitter that they have a good time playing with. And we work in several more hours a week and that time we protect for caring for ourselves and our partnership or for just taking a break from our, from our work. Yeah. from from our responsibilities and doing something playful joining a sports team or taking a knitting class or yeah. going out and taking a walk in the woods or sitting and reading books yeah you know? going for a run right? yeah exactly yeah. and that yeah. that that is worthwhile too and so this, yeah. this capitalistic mindset that it's yeah. only worthwhile if yeah. you're making money like we have to get our biggest bang for our buck right we yeah. have to make it worth it if we're going to be paying a babysitter right yeah. Yeah. This is so fascinating. I could talk to you forever, um, but I know we have to wrap up soon. So I would love if you could, you know, tell everybody um, a little bit more about, you have a book as well, right? I so do. talk a little bit about the book and just tell everybody how they can find you and, and follow you. Yeah, sure. My book is called Motherwhelmed. <clears throat> Great and- title, by the way. <laughs> Appreciate it. And uh, my website is revolutionfromhome.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Revolution from Home again. And um, I have, you know, currently offerings wise, I have a membership site, um, you know, membership community at the virtual village that is open all the time for new members. Um, We're having all kinds of fascinating conversations in there. And we have uh, monthly community conversations where we get on Zoom together and we have you know, rich in-person, you know, quote unquote, in-person Zoom conversations, mm-hmm. conversations live. Um, and then uh, also my my year-long program, uh, Motherworthy, um, will be, I'll be enrolling for that in the fall uh, in September. For And then, and we meet, and that's where we get, we go deep, you know, okay. you really, and some of these women have been meeting for, you know, five years. Um, and they're, they're lifelong sisters now, you know, like there's some really, really beautiful, intimate connection being built in these circles. Um, and then, uh, also have a relationship course coming up, uh, in the spring. So those are a few things that are very cool coming and also uh, in-person retreats this summer and fall. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. 
I would absolutely love to check those out. So yeah, um, yeah. encourage everyone who's listening to do so as well. So awesome. Thank you so much, Beth. This has just been such a pleasure, such a great conversation, such a meaningful work and you know impact that you're having in the world. So thank you again for being here. Thank you, Megan. I've enjoyed our conversation very much. <laughs>